Hi, I'm Ryan LaPlante, and I'm one of the crazy founders of Dumb Dumbs and Dice, the production company that's made the video you're watching or the podcast you're listening to right now. Now, we're clearly busy. We're producing five weekly podcasts, Dum Dums and Dragons, Blood and Syrup, The Mythos Mysteries, Warhammer 40,000, The Valentine Heresy, and Curse Code and Crown, as well as three event podcasts with miniseries releases scheduled at random intervals, Dumb Scum and Villainy, One Shots, and the bad movie review show, Garbage Town the Movie Podcast. But we want to take this time to invite you to become a part of our company and a part of our Patreon at patreon.com slash dumdumdice. You can get access to our Discord, access to exclusive DM and character chats. You can get the chance to name characters in our shows. You can even become a recurring NPC and hear yourself interacting with our characters each week through the voice of Tom. You can become a patron for as little as $1, and there's great value for you at even that level. So please, join the Dum Dums and Dice family and help us make even more content Content in a way that you are guaranteed to love. That's patreon.com slash dumdumdice. D-U-M-B, D-U-M-B, D-I-C-E. So let's do something dumb together, and thanks for being part of our stories. I am Executron, god of merchandising, and I came into existence because Dum Dums and Dice has its own merchandise. That's a god pop, get it? Dice? Merchandise? Anyways, you can get t-shirts, hoodies, spiral notebooks, clocks, wall art, throw pillows, bags, and even stickers emblazoned with your favorite Dum Dums and Dice characters and their catchphrases. Go to redbubble.com slash people slash Dum Dum Dice. That's D-U-M-B, D-U-M-B, D-I-C-E. One more time for the mortals in the back, redbubble.com slash people slash Dum Dum Dice. Get your merchandise. Merchandise today. Welcome back to Curse Code and Crown, a live play Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition podcast featuring a fully original world and campaign. I am the wizard Cronox, observer of time. Curse Code and Crown features our regular voiceover artists and improvisers, Laura Elizabeth as Princess Gwendolyn, Tyler Hewitt as Maka Deathcap, and Ryan LaPlante as Duncan Kindano, alongside our dungeon master, the incredible Tom McGee. So get ready for an adventure including thrills, chills, and hope for a brighter tomorrow. It's time for Curse Code and Crown! Maka, looking around you, you see desolation. The ground is, is dry and seemingly uh, devoid of any but the most hearty um, plants and vegetation. We're talking uh, kind of desert style, very crisp, um, dry, almost weeds. Um, the overturned cart uh, you find yourself near um, seems to be just off uh, a road, and you can see signs of a struggle, um, signs of a conflict around you. If you recall, um, when you awoke, uh, you found yourself uh, by an overturned cart uh, with a couple of dead horses, uh, a couple of bodies nearby that you could tell from a quick glance were not your friends, uh, which was a bit of a relief, uh, as well as a discarded pistol that, as you approach, you realize is Mr. Bang, 
um, truly an, an item that uh, Duncan would not abandon without great need. The sky is uh, overcast uh, with clouds that seem to be moving just a little bit too quickly. Um, and uh, between the sort of ragged cuts of gray, um, you can see a red sky beyond them. Uh, and every so often, uh, the glimpse of a perfectly black sun. As you struggle to your feet, glancing down at uh, the arm that you barely had time to register before um, passing out before, um, you see that it is a, um, a mass of twisted vine, um, sort of around a, um, it, it certainly has like solid mass, like it's not like a bunch of, it's not swamp thing style, like a bunch of wriggling vines, um, but uh, more like um, there's a, a tree that uh, exists sort of in um, uh, South America that is a bunch of like very, th it's almost like if a bunch of trees were wound together, uh, it grows around a tree and then the tree inside it dies and then it just kind of becomes a thing. So you can actually climb up inside them, which is kind of wild, um, but similar to that. Uh, and the fingers um, are uh, sort of a, a mass of um, six sort of rough digits, um, but of varying lengths. And um, as you try and squeeze them into a fist, almost by instinct, um, you find they react somewhat, uh, but then bend backward and kind of contort. And you can feel that this new limb is not uh, quite synced to your your body yet. You can still control it somewhat, but it's not... Like fine motor stuff is not there? Yeah. Um, yeah. You likely wouldn't guess this out of the gate, um, but with some, some thought and some, some consideration, um, the fact that you kind of absorb the history of the root folk and the memorarian into the cluster isn't it's not like plugging a usb key into something and then just having it or you know matrix uploading into your brain um you basically have the collected memory of a people held by a singular being being kind of almost defragged into uh the cluster and this uh, remnant of uh the memorarian um seems to be operational and, and responding to you but is clearly there's still a lot of processing going on there okay. um uh, from sort of a statistic standpoint and from a, a, a gameplay standpoint um you will now have um advantage on grapple checks using that arm uh in a very uh, and I said it wasn't Swamp Thing, but like in a vaguely Swamp Thing uh, <laughs> or Poison Ivy E way, uh, Omega Red, if we want to go into X Men, um, in that uh, because basically it's no longer a hand per se, but kind of almost a ring of, of digits, uh, you can full on Groot people now. And there's no um, bones in there, so it just you can grasp kind of. Absolutely. Right, um, okay. And because, nice. because your joints are no longer held by tendons. If one of these things, since they do have almost a vine quality to them, if something pushes back against them, it's not like one of our fingers where if you push back against the joint, it snaps. Yeah. It pushes. It has yep. give. I really should have started with Groot. It's a Groot arm. You have a Groot arm now. <laughs> um, that character who is literally the thing I'm describing, using a bunch of characters who are ancillary to it. <sighs> um, so you'll have uh, advantage on grapple checks, um, mm -hmm. advantage on climb checks. Um, 
and um, as you kind of tense uh, these sort of digits into a fist, um, you realize uh, that you no longer need to to wield a club because um, your hand itself uh, will will suit the purpose. So if you cast Shillelagh now, rather than having to convert whatever piece of wood you're carrying into it, it'll basically like clay face a fist. Um, okay. So I think still mechanically you're still going to be doing the same sorts of attacks you would. It's not like you suddenly become a boxer, but rather, because I feel like Maka has always been about the result, not the weapon. Cause you've, you've talked about how you don't really, your club has no sentimental value. It's just kind of whatever yeah. stick yeah. you can find. Um, so you can still choose to wield that if you want. Um, but I will also say you can imbue your hand with it now and still think like swinging it like a club, not like a, a fist, but, um, but definitely possible. Okay. You also hear whispers um, every so often now, just at the edge of your your consciousness um, of the uh, the collective memory of of the root folk. Um, it's not like the memorarian like lives in your head, um, but they do seem to drift through it now and again um, as uh, as their knowledge is disseminated throughout the cluster. So. Um, looking at these two bodies, um, they appear to be dwarves, um, who, um, I think from the, uh, your, your time in the swamp, I don't know that you would have really met many aside from obviously in the Danver, uh, expedition. Um, I think you were aware of dwarves. You just probably didn't, didn't hang out with many of them. Your, your main mm-hmm. points of contact were other turtles. Yeah. Um, these, uh, they're, uh, they're two women. Um, they're very, very hardy looking folk. Um, like uh think like um like a like a an olympic level weightlifter or boxer so like not cut they're they're like you know their their bodies are thick they're stocky they're, but they're stocky bulky. but like you can tell it's muscle it's a little bit of the dave batista thing right where it's just like he's not a slim guy his body is a tree trunk because it's just like, no, I lift heavy things. Or like if you right. think of like a professional shot putter or anything. <laughs> so these ladies are like fucking built. Um, and uh, you can tell from the shattered weapons near them, um, uh, probably professional fighters. Um, but uh, clearly whatever came through here uh, didn't care. Um, both of them have been uh, absolutely shredded. Um, by uh, what seems to be um, some kind of multiple blade um, or claw that's been raked across them. Um, it's to the bone. And again, for such uh, powerfully built fighters, something that can cut through muscle that deep is is clearly swinging at a, at a pretty high rate. Um, you can see other blood now that you kind of look around the site. Um, but uh, again, no sign of your friends other than um, Mr. Bang, uh, which is uh, sitting nearby, um, cracked open and slightly bent, uh, with um, half, uh, clearly half loaded. Um, I'll go over and I'll pick up Mr. Bang, um, and I'll just uh, store that in uh, in one of my like little little uh, satchels. Um, can you roll me a, uh, hmm, probably an, maybe an insight? Yep. I take insight or investigation. Uh, if it's a, if it's based on It's just the object. As, as you're picking it up, yeah. 
I'd say investigation. Yeah, it's really more of a, do you notice as you put it into your pocket or do you actually take a second to, you know, L.A. Noir it and turn it around in space? Um, if I recognize it from the ground as being Mr. Bang, I would just pick it up and put it in my pocket. Okay, so then uh, give me an insight then, please. Okay. Does it make a difference? Oh, it does. Um, not great. That's an eight. An eight? Yeah. Um, yeah, you don't really have any... Uh, conception of how firearms work they're really no. out, pretty far outside your, your realm but you do um <laughs> i think it's like if you don't really know how to differentiate what dogs look like but <laughs> you just vaguely recognize it as duncan's you don't necessarily know what makes it different than any other gun um but uh you've seen <laughs> you've seen this small dog before so it looks slightly different from other small dogs we have a lot of small dogs in our building they all look the same i don't know um <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so you pocket that, um, and then uh, can you roll me a perception check, please? That's better. That is uh, 21. Okay. Um, nice. The, uh, the cart was clearly packed with um, provisions and supplies. Um, if you were to venture a guess based on kind of coming from a mercantile um, society... Um, seems almost like a, a like a, a trade caravan or supply caravan, um, and sort of in the wreckage of the of the the cart, there are you know barrels and uh, chests and other kind of um, crates that sort of thing, um, as well as uh, sort of a number of fabrics. You can tell there's some bedrolls and other things, um, but as you're putting Mister Bang into your your bag, you notice that. Um, what you assumed was um, a, a bedroll uh, flapping in the wind um, is actually moving amongst the wreckage. You also realize that there is absolutely no wind, despite the clouds moving and this um, sort of um, ragged piece of fabric moving. Okay. Um, I'll, uh, I'll ready my club and I will uh, approach this, uh, this moving fabric. Um, as you approach, um, it uh, it doesn't seem to acknowledge your presence. Um, yeah, uh, it doesn't acknowledge your presence, um, but um, you see a spindly, emaciated hand um, sort of catch uh, the gray light of the clouds. Um, and it seems to be um, pulling um, a, uh, a length of chain up out of one of uh, the... Um, the broken crates and examining it in better light um, and uh, sort of as you see see it do this um, you can now start to see the shape of this body under the cloak um, and you can see um, just kind of the edge of, uh, of uh, a sunken face um, with no nose and kind of um, incredibly gray um, toothless mouth just kind of almost chewing um, in concentration, it's it's that uh, that weird thing that um, certain older folks develop where their jaw just can't stop moving, mm. um, and uh, you just hear um, a voice uh, say, "Heavy, yes, heavy, but usable, possibly usable, possibly heavy, though." Hmm. Is this scene playing out? inside the overturned cart like is it a covered no wagon? It's, it's around uh, okay, it's around so the cart. It's, it is, this would have okay. been more of a an open topped uh, think like in modern parlance it would, it would be like a pickup truck 
Um, so it's an open top cart. Um, you can okay. tell um, just from a cursory look at the street, uh, street the, the pathway road, um, that there were other vehicles in this this convoy. Yeah. Um, but no, think of this very much as like one overturned cart, two dead horses, two bodies, and then just kind of assorted um, uh, stuff and some signs of struggle. Uh, some of the things have been uh, the boxes, barrels have been completely obliterated. Okay. Then I will call out to this this figure. Uh, Maka will say, uh, "Hello." It instantly collapses into um, a pile of of cloak. I'll uh, I'll carefully approach, but I'll lower my club. Um, and as I'm getting closer and closer, I'll, I'll keep speaking to this uh, creature and say, uh, "I mean you no harm. My name is Maka Deathcap." Gravekeeper of the turtle. Hmm. Um, you see a, a slight uh, tremor go through the fabric. Uh, the closer you get, the more it seems like a kid hiding under a blanket. Um, and uh, you hear it just say, Graves, you say. Mm-hmm. Yes, Graves. And I'm getting closer, and I'm going to reach down to the fabric and just gently kind of lift it. Um, the form seems to come with that, um, and you see the two spindly hands shoot out and kind of grab around the neck, not, like, reaching for your hands or anything, but clearly trying to keep the cloak, um, wrapped around it. Um, and it, uh, it just says, um, uh, there are no graves, here and then suddenly it spins um, with a speed that you didn't really think was possible. You feel its hands grab the sides of your face, um, and the it almost feels like needles. Um, they, there's there's it's it's just like sharpened bone, um, and uh, a face that's more skull than flesh um, turns uh, to look at you with lidless round bloodshot eyes um uh, and sort of uh just sort of the two holes where a nose would be um uh pointed ears that seem to have just sort of sagged almost to cover the ear holes and um a- almost a hanging jaw uh and the creature just says can can you bury me yes if this is what you wish, I um, can. And it lets out a a howl of of delight, um, and kind of falls off of you, um, and seems to, to take a, a few heaving uh, breaths. Um, although you're you're not quite sure that this thing breathes, <laughs> um, and then uh, it seems to collect itself and um, turn turn back to you and uh, says. Um, uh, I I am once known as as Zon, and I cannot die. None of us can die. But you, and there's um, it attempts a grin, but the skin on its face doesn't move, um, and just says, "You are a grave keeper." Mm. Come mm. to the Shadowlands. 
and it seems to almost do like a little glee dance, um, which is kind of horrifying because it looks like if someone strung up a skeleton by a string and then just like <laughs> bounced the string a few times. Kind of like. Yeah, just like full on Annie from <laughs> Community and uh, the Dia de los Muertes. Um, That's a good uh, point. Thank you. Um, and uh, so just like skeletal arms out. Um, and uh, you can see now that, that this thing is facing you. Um, its cloak is, is patchwork. It's, it's clearly made of, of scrap. Um, and um, it, uh, it uh, kind of nods at you and says, um, you, I, I th- you came with others, yes? I believe so, yes. Yes. I feel I was in the company of one who held this weapon, and I'll take out Mr. Bang, the flintlock pistol, and show it. Um, there's a, a look of um, incredible avarice on the creature's face for just a moment. It's it's passing, uh, and you almost see its like golem-style fingers reach for it, and then it just rolls them into, into fists and just kind of waltz and grommets them back to its chest <laughs> in, in little, yeah. uh, little reserved hands uh, and says, uh, yes, uh, quite a prize, that. Seldom seen in the Shadowlands, that. Yes, they... They left you for me, I think. Yes, left you for me. Knew I would find you. Had to run. Hmm. Where did they run to? Um, and uh, uh, Zonf looks um, legitimately crestfallen. Uh, and uh, says, that this one does not know. This one only came after the, the Omnirath had left. Had chased them away, it did. Probably dead. Maybe not, but probably dead. Gone. Hmm. I would very much like to know for certain the fate of my friends. Hmm. If if they escaped, then maybe maybe to Scriven they go. The town Scriven. of Rags. Scriven. Yes, it is where I I am bringing my findings. Help. Help this one bring the findings. We will go to Scriven together. Yes? Safer for you. You can die. I cannot. Hmm. I am like those two. And I point to the dwarf uh, corpses. And uh, he looks at them with almost as much um, greed and avarice as he did at the at Mr. Bang. And just says, yes, like those. Have not been here long enough. Still fresh, can still die. Not like, not like me. Not like the others. Uh, Tom, can I cast Detect Magic? Um, hearing Zon talk about this place being here yep, absolutely. for uh, too long or not long enough, and, and those that can die and cannot, I'd like to just reach out uh, um, to, the, to the land mm-hmm. and the area surrounding me if I get any kind of uh, so, magical feedback. Um, just so I understand mechanically, not mechanically, uh, narratively, is this you sending spores out, or is this you kind of reaching out? Do you imagine this more as like a reaching out through the power of magic, or do you literally release spores into the air for this? 
for detect magic no it's it's reaching out through the power of magic mm. yeah always has been um okay great so um you reach out and um it feels a bit like a punch to the gut um this place reeks of magic um there is a, an extraordinary amount of magic um and i would say the reason it feels like a punch to the gut is normally this is how you feel when connected to a biological cycle so if you're just like walking through for example um like uh um you know like the desert at night or a forest um or if you're in a reef like something that teems with life it's that feeling that you normally get from the cluster when you're around a lot of life um but for magic uh and as you just sort of take that in, you also realize um, that aside from uh, the two dead dwarves and the two dead horses and yourself, um, you do not pick up a single trace of the cluster here. The space seems entirely devoid of life. Dum Dums and Dice would like to welcome you to the grim darkness of the 41st millennium. I am Inquisitor Caveat Ventus, Keeper of the Inquisition's Black Library, and I'm releasing my report on the Valentine Heresy. It's an actual play podcast set in the Genesis adaptation of Warhammer 40,000's Dark Heresy RPG. Join Ryan LaPlante as Inquisitor Lucius Valentine, and Laura Elizabeth and Tyler Hewitt as hive-bred siblings Lyric and Alto, as this unlikely trio try to save the Emperor from a cabal of mysterious enemies in a series created by games master Tom McGee. Can these unlikely heroes survive in a galaxy where there is only war? Find out in the first episode of Warhammer 40,000 The Valentine Heresy. Available now. Uh, that, that revelation would cause me to kind of withdraw into myself and try to reach the cluster in earnest, not through like detect magic, but, uh, it feels kind of like, uh, hearing radio static only because the cluster is currently integrating with the collective memory of the root folk, which is not a short process. That said... Um, you can only detect the cluster within yourself right now. It seems okay. to be a closed cycle. And then again in, in the, the, the fresh corpses. But um, Zahn gives off no no sense of, of the cluster at all. Um, neither does the, the vegetation you've seen. Uh, so it's literally the fresh the freshly killed corpses near you and nothing else. Okay. Um, and unfortunately, it has no answers for you because it is yeah. integrating a few hundred years worth of history. Yeah. Okay, that really worries Maka. I think he's visibly uh, disturbed by that. Um, and he'll mutter to himself, uh, Yet again, we find ourselves in a place where people cannot or will not die. Hmm. Jossie, I will make this right. And you feel Zahn's spindly fingers wrap around your forearm, your turtle forearm, um, and uh, they kind of look up into your face and just say, Oh, yes. 
It is quite horrible here. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Show me the way to this... Scriven. Yes, but first... And Zahn gestures very broadly to everything. And his eyes, if possible, seem to get a bit wider. And he just says, Rags! A few days earlier, uh, Gwendolyn and Duncan um, bringing Maka, who at this point was was kind of drifting in and out uh, with you, you emerged um, into uh, a forest. Um, you had left the uh, the confines of the root folk, uh, having uh, defeated the the trap familiar, having solved. Um, with uh, sort of Maka's assistance, the dilemma of what to do about the collective memory uh, and the memorarian. Um, and you now find yourselves with a, a rather interesting dilemma. Uh, the only person who has any experience of the world beyond Orvel is Comatose. The two of you have just had to wrestle with some rather large philosophical issues. Uh, Gwendolyn, for not the first time, but perhaps the, the most dramatic time, uh, have had to wrestle with the idea that even though you've kind of come to a place where you've been able to help previous groups kind of find a way forward, uh, for the first time with the root folk, you were confronted with the fact that sometimes you actually can't, nor should you, uh, which is new. I think there had been a certain tone of, I'm the chosen one and I will unite the world. Um, that has yet again come crashing down around your head. Um, and Duncan, uh, even though you dreamt of a wider world, um, so far it has been nothing but disappointment and interest to some degree, but largely disappointment um, because the the training you have and the dreams you had of, of what it would be like to go on a diplomatic mission, uh, you know, to the uh, to meet uh, the... Um, uh, the Golen, uh, the, the sort of dwarf nation, um, to to go meet, you know, the consortium of Bleen to, to deal with all these other people. I think, um, to use kind of a pop culture reference, uh, I think Duncan always dreamed of these things a bit like a Star Trek The Next Generation episode, where you just get to go to a cool place with a bunch of cool people and have, like, diplomatic conversations and, like, sort things out based on codes of ethics and come to a mutually beneficial conclusion. Um, instead, everything seems fucking ridiculous and messy, and uh, <laughs> the codes are different, and diplomacy doesn't seem to operate the way it did in Orville. Um You know that exists somewhere in this world, but so far it's been a lot of not that. Um, and again, for the first time, uh, one of you almost died. So where do you think, um, Gwendolyn and Duncan, you are at mentally as you emerge into... Um, a force that you can very happily tell is not moving and is not sentient. Which is a low bar to clear, but apparently that's where we're at. <laughs> uh, I think I'm just kind of like repeating the things that like Duncan is teaching me, like kind of over and over in my head because they don't sit naturally with me. It's like, all right. Always choose the boring decision that doesn't get <laughs> other people killed. Uh, shit, there were more. <laughs> and I'm just like trying to remember. <laughs> That's fair. Um, and Duncan, where, where do you think you're at? 
It's been a it's been a bit of a bit of a few days for you. Yeah, I think Duncan's a bit of a wreck. I don't think he'd share it because it's not his job to be like, dear princess, figuring out the world is a garbage heap. It's real bad. It's worse than you think. You haven't even figured out some of the bad shit yet. Uh, instead, he's just dealing with it in like a weird, quiet, probably like kind of dark way. Because I think you're right. He thought I think he was that guy who figured that everywhere else got it right and just humanity fucked it up in Orville. Mm -hmm. So he was going to go out and they were going to be better. And instead, he's discovered that they're like worse, yeah. but in weird, unpredictable ways where he can't even understand the level of like, how do you get corrupted by a tree person? Like, what the fuck was attractive about this? Like, this doesn't he can't even figure out the evil he's facing in mm -hmm. a lot of these ways. Mm. And it just means that a lot of his lessons aren't there. Like, I think the root folk also will have fucked him up because he'll be looking back and thinking he could have done it smarter. Like mm -hmm. there were better moves to be made. But he didn't have a horse in the race. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't actually know how to function if he doesn't have a horse in the race. Because he's existed in sort of like important areas wherever he's been until now. And then you just show up at the root folk and you're like, I don't know who's good. I don't know who's bad. I don't know any of these people. Well, I don't from, have a fight from to a win. Historical and, and I think, a, and it's important to, to acknowledge this from a societal lens, um, Orvel, as Orvelian history positions it is the center of the universe height of civilization rome everywhere else is barbarians we're rome um which i don't think you necessarily believed in terms of like oh but like we're we're, we're the good ones it was more so yeah okay but like th these systems exist elsewhere this is how it works and there's kind of all the conscious deprogramming you can try and do to that but then coming out into the wider world and having people just be like what the fuck Humans, no, get out of here. He is a drastic shift because it's not even just not having a horse in the race. It's realizing that, like, you spent years becoming a chess master thinking that chess was the way. Like, yeah, you might play people who are better or worse, but at least if you knew chess, everyone plays chess and we'll just figure it out. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, motherfucker, only we played chess. <laughs> Shit. Everyone else thinks chess is for children. What the. Like, there's just. Yeah, yeah. I, that's a fair place, I think, to be. And admittedly, both of you have done um, a tremendous amount of good already. Um, you've managed to um, end, you know, an endless conflict and, and free a number of, of souls and essences that would have just been recycled over and over again. Um, you certainly made things better in byproduct. And although Maka led the charge on this most recent adventure's conclusion, the root folk are no longer trapped in their cycle. Um, for better or worse, is yet to be seen. Uh, but there is some... I feel like it's fair to be feeling the regret of, I feel like I could have done this smarter, but it still wasn't a loss, which I think would probably weigh a bit heavier on Duncan if it was a yeah, full Yeah, he, he didn't feel like bad one. Like, I don't think he feels yeah. like he's a failure. I think he is still confused because I don't think he likes the end result that happened. Totally Because I think he would have preferred the root folk knew, but Maka made an offer that made sense to the Memorarian, but he disagreed, but he couldn't because he was oath sworn to help Jossie restore the cycle. So I think there's also just like, okay, we did a good thing, but how good? Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, yeah. Very fair. Um, so from a more practical standpoint, as both of you are, are kind of thinking through these, these things, um, Maka has, has uh, ceased to be able to move. 
Um, he is he's still breathing very visibly, uh, but is essentially comatose. Um, you can still he occasionally seems to mutter things, um, but at times it seems to almost be the memorarian's voice, not his. Um, has this? Can you remind me? Did this happen where when we left off, or is this? Has this been happening on the way gradually? Um, so where we left off, you had literally just left the temple en route to the, yeah. the Shadowlands, um, and Maka had just kind of implanted the, or the the arm had just sprouted um, as he mm-hmm. as his, uh, as the cluster began to absorb um, the the memory of the root folk. Um, so that's pretty much where we left it. It was literally just kind of like a you dragged his ass out of the dungeon. All of you saw the sunrise over a forest, and that was that was kind of it. So that's pretty much where we are right now. Yeah. Um, okay. Narratively, from the session we're playing right now, Mach is a few days ahead of you. So what we just saw has not happened for you yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yes. So no, this is literally like um, there was one way out. You found it. You're en route to the Shadowlands. If you remember, the main reason you were after the Shadowlands was after the uh, assassination of um, A, the assault on Orvel, um, but B, um, the uh, assassination of... Um, the Butcher Lord. The, the yeah. Butcher Lord. Yeah. Um, by uh, one of the Covenant of Crackate has led you to want to investigate this so at least you kind of know what you're up against. Um, ideally, to stop it. Um, <laughs> yeah, stop the, or find weakness were our two primary yeah, yeah, yeah. interests. Or at least to understand, um, because from the looks of things, um, these assassins are literally stepping out of shadows, killing people, and then disappearing, which is not exactly something you can fight. So, um, Gwendolyn, for you, this carries a bit of additional weight, uh, and I think it's a weight you've been able to ignore up to this point because your circumstances are so absurd and so far mm-hmm. removed from everything else you've been dealing with or you've ever dealt with that it was easy enough to kind of put some things on pause but the closer you get to the people who carried out the attack on Orvel um, the more that little niggling piece of information at the corner of your brain uh, begins to bother you which is uh, Nikos and uh why your brother did this, what has become of him and your father and the court and your people yeah. and your friends, uh, what's happened to Orville, which is something that you up to now have been able to kind of avoid because, you know, it's, it's a little bit like starting a new school or going away to university or going to a country you've never been to. Very easy to ignore all your problems at home because, like, oh, my God, I'm in Spain. I don't know how Spain works. Yeah, there's been a lot of shit going on that's um, distracted me, for sure. But the closer you get to something that was involved with this, the harder it is to ignore. Because one way or another, you're going to start to get answers. And in some ways, it's easier not to have those. Um, and with that, of course, it also brings all the horror of having to contend with the fact that you're in a suit of armor rather than a body which you've kind of contended with in a broad sense but like I remember the first time I think of it almost like the first time you went back home uh, after going to university or college where it's just like oh right all my friends problems are still problems fuck I'm still I'm still that kid I was two months ago it's cool that I'm in a different place and I can drink now but like I'm ultimately all my shit is still my shit 
Mm-hmm. Um, Duncan, for you, uh, the immediate problem is how do you solve a problem like Amaka? Uh, he's a big dude and he is down for the count. Um, so how do you propose to continue to move Maka? Because we're on foot, right? You're currently on foot, yes. Um, I think he would have had some, like, basic survival training. Um, so I think he'd do, like, he would ta- essentially find large branches. And I don't know, I, I actually did, like, some bullshit survival training as, like, a kid with, like, the local whatever's in Your Barry. local Ron Swanson? Yeah, and you actually, you take two long kind of branches and then you like run, if you like we got rope and stuff kind of in between them and you can lay somebody on it and then just drag the front of it. Mm-hmm. And I think he's just doing that because Mach is heavy, right? Like he's not. He's I weigh 450 pounds. <laughs> so I think how I imagine this going is, Duncan, you set it up while Gwendolyn is like having a, a weird little um, internal existential crisis as she tries to remember your lessons. Um, and you start to like haul this weight. Um, and it's a little bit like when, uh, I try and do like a big quarantine grocery shop, uh, without any assistance or like reinforced bags. And I'm like, I can carry all this. And I walk like three meters and my tiny little T-Rex arms give up and I'm like, Oh no. And then I'm just like, walk, 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 rest, 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 walk, 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 rest, rest, rest. Um, so it's that kind of situation, uh, until Gwendolyn turns around and realizes this is going on. Uh, and offers to take a shift. Um, and Gwendolyn, uh, you don't have muscles anymore, so this is actually a pretty doable <laughs> thing for you. And yeah. um, Duncan, I think there's a moment of, even though, you know, like she's a haunted suit of armor now, I think mentally she's still Gwendolyn to you. So it's like, no, no, Gwendolyn will just die if she has to do this. This is ridiculous. She's lived a life of privilege in a palace. Like, yeah, I think there's also just like, Gwendolyn won't do this. Yeah. This and, is a chore to carry a turtle. Fair enough. Um, and Gwendolyn, I, I guess I would propose based on that, that this is less out of like a, no, I can do this and it's right that I do. And more like, a, I don't like waiting and I'm not tired. So I think it's out of frustration more than anything <laughs> yes. else. You just shoulder it. and Yeah, um, 100%. What, uh, what do you say to Duncan uh, when you do that? Um, this is, this is responsibility, right? I'm taking responsibility. That's true. Look at me, I'm learning. That's true, you're doing good for someone when you don't have any immediate gain. That's very impressive. I'm really proud of myself. Well, that sort of takes away from the effect, but yes, you should be, you know, you got to be able to understand those victories and celebrate them. And I think, Duncan, as you watch her start to drag Maka, like, very happily, like, you know, like a kid with their first backpack being like, I'm off to school. Um, You realize that this actually legitimately is progress. And I think there is, like, an actual little moment of, like, (laughs) by George, I think she's got it. Um, Gwendolyn, uh, I'm going to give you one point of inspiration uh, for... um, accidentally doing the right thing. Um, (laughs) But then role-playing that moment very nicely. Um, Cool. So, um, Duncan, you're fully expecting to have to take over the Maka sled soon thereafter. Um, But because Gwendolyn doesn't tire the way she used to in a mortal body, uh, she just doesn't really notice. And as a result, uh, the two of you begin to make very good time. Um, You 
it's rough going for a bit. Um, Duncan, you're you're largely responsible for like the awkward ass end of the uh, the stretcher getting it over like logs and things. There's a lot of like weird like bent over shoving and things. So it, it's it's tiring work. Um, I'm gonna need you to please roll me a. Hmm. I don't know if I want a survival check necessarily on this. Uh, let's go with a constitution save, please. It's a 19 for Duncan. Okay. Um, so you're sore. Um, but the nice thing about getting the shit duty that you've had for so long is you've pulled enough drunks out of bars uh, that... Uh, bending over to drag things is actually pretty... <laughs> it's a muscle group you've built up in your lower back. Um, so you're sore when you go to bed, but um, not... That's the it's thing about aristocratic drunks. They're not tiny. <laughs> so um, uh, after um, walking for some time, um, uh, you're you're both feeling, feeling kind of at the end of your rope, and it's probably time to bed down. The good news is um, you've actually found um, a pathway through the woods now. You're out of kind of the deep forest and into um, not a main road per se, but um, what almost looks like a service path. Um, definitely well trod um, and uh, suddenly the going is much easier. So knowing that you'll have an easier time of it tomorrow, um, you decide to bed down. for uh, What are your plans for the evening? Well, we got a train with sword fighting because we she's got to learn you got to learn to do more than just throw your entire body at people i mean you got possessed this time we need to keep people away from your body so they don't go into it and then well, well sleep i gotta find some i guess i got rations i'll be okay there but otherwise no. we gotta do watches i'm really struggling with this because like my opening move is that i'm supposed to step on someone's foot so they can't step back but that's would, bringing them very close to me. So I'm like, well, I have to keep them away from me now? Then what's my opening move now? I think what we need to get you away from is the idea that every fight is going to go into a pattern or that'll get you killed right away. Because oh. someone will see you step on the first guy and then they'll expect you to step on them and then they'll just stab you. People are very good at stabbing if they know what you're going to do. So I think the footstep is good if they're already in close and you've got more strength than they do. If they're stronger than you, you can step on their foot. They'll just throw you off. Well, I'm sure not many people are stronger than me. I mean, fuck, look at me. Well, I would agree that most humans might not be stronger than you, but we are up against a covenant of witches who appear out of shadows and stab things, and I don't know how strong they are. And a lot of species might be just stronger than humans, maybe even stronger than human ghosts in armor. There are a lot of questions here I can't answer. All right. I'd like to add finesse to your strength in a way that harnesses your strength, essentially. Maybe that sword throw. It seems like you're not banging 100% on target, so we could just work on that if that feels worth it to you. Uh, uh, sh sure. I mean, whatever you think is right. Like, I'm clearly no expert in this area. <laughs> All right, well, you know what? You're going to throw a sword near me, so why don't we work on that to make sure that you don't hit me with it? And then I guess we could find some moss or great-looking dirt and add it to Maka's spores. I don't really know how to feed the things that grow on him, but I'm assuming it's with sort of dead stuff. Is that what you, 
Does he do that? Does he like dress it up with stuff? I just assumed it like fed on stuff from the air. I mean, I assume the same thing as well, but I don't know what happens when he's out. Like he's growing an arm. I I don't know how his systems work. Yeah, I will this is say, weird. Looking at him, the the arm seems to be growing on its own. Um, and uh, you know, the mushrooms and various spores seem to just kind of be doing their thing. You don't see a lot of like it's not like he's turned gray. Uh, if that makes any sense. Okay. I mean, not more gray than Rager. usual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Then we'll you know, we'll just I guess give him some water. That feels like something that would work for him and for them. So that. Yeah, I like to know. imagine you, you like pour some water down his throat and then just like throw some vegetation on him and just <laughs> both kind of walk away, being like, "All right, well, let's... that's probably it." And then I feel like it's <laughs> it, what he wants to do with Gwendolyn is where he'll take like small pieces of firewood, like kindling. And then it's it's that weird thing that like English aristocrats do or like clay pigeon shooting or like he'd throw one and have her try to peg it with her sword. Like and every in, time she misses, a dog just pops up from the bushes and is like, <laughs> and you try and shoot the dog, but you just can't. Like where are all these freaking dogs coming from? I actually think it's the same dog the whole time. Like I haven't seen a second one and he's pretty distinctive. Well, I hope he's not a spy. Should we kill it? I don't really just want to kill a dog. I'll be honest with you. It, it could be evil, but I require more than mocking us for failure for an execution. I think. Well, I agree. That's why I was asking the question. I wanted. Oh well, I mean, in my opinion, no. Unless you want to sentence the dog to death for treason, I don't think it's a rebellion dog. <laughs> I, I don't know enough about treason. <laughs> yeah, I don't know enough about the legal system here. I don't know what you could charge a foreign national with while you're in their land. Well, also, here's here's something worth considering. Um, Gwendolyn, can you roll me uh, three attack rolls, please, with your tossing sword? Um, sure. Because uh, I think a lot of this will hinge on how badly you fail or how well you succeed. Because <laughs> here's the thing. If the dog shows up, like, once, it's like, well, all right, well, eh, fuck that dog. If the dog's there all the time, that, like, may be more of a problem. Okay. Also, the dog is not, like, Snidely Whiplash's dog, like, literally, like, snickering. It's just popping up and, like, see, doing that thing, like, whenever Ripley pants, I'm like, it's a smiling dog. And I'm like, nah, it's just a dehydrated dog. Uh, <laughs> so you're not re really sure what this dog's deal is, but they damn do seem to pop up every time you miss. So let's see how often right. that happens. Uh, so we've got a 14, a 24, and a 13. Christ. Um, you well, never that. see the dog. Um, so we're going to assume that since you're doing training, this is probably like a couple hours worth of work. You succeed more. Oh, than I do more fail. than three throws. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. It's the three throws was to. <laughs> no, I know. I'm just being an asshole. No, no, no. But also just to, to mechanically make it clear. Um, I don't want to say that like you get three. It's like the three just represent your entire spell of training. Yeah. Fair. Um, so, uh, I'd say you. Like you, you hit more than you miss, and uh, the dog pops up now and again. Um, but also, when you're not throwing, like basically in that awkward spell of time where either you're recalling the sword or like trudging out to get the sword, um, you can also just see the dog like sniffing around the bushes, kind of in the distance. It's clearly just a you know a wild dog doing its thing. Um, Duncan, uh, you're pretty impressed by these throws. Um, I think. Now that you're just observing it, you come to understand that there's magic behind them. It's not what you feared it was, which was Gwendolyn Captain America-ing it, just being like, I'll just throw my shield real hard. <laughs> um, the the sort of magic forces seem, seem to be uh, 
controlling to some degree. That said, um, one thing I will flag for you is I think once you've completed this round of training, uh, it occurs to you that the next thing that might be worth considering is how the two of you can learn to fight as a single unit. Because if you continue to not get to duel things, having something that creates a distraction field around you, as, as happened a couple times in the previous fight, would be very fucking helpful. Because if it's not going to be a proper duel, at the very least, it doesn't have to be <laughs> you versus five people. Yeah. Uh, if there's a magic sword in armor bouncing around. So something to consider for the future. Agreed. I think at the moment he realizes, oh, okay, this won't just kill me. <laughs> okay, now i got to figure out how to use it. Yeah. Um, and with that, um, with a, you know, with Gwendolyn deciding, I assume, not to execute a wild dog for treason. No, of course not. Look, I mean, I'm, I was just... Hey, I'm not I having the conversation the with you. Yeah, it's all good. It's okay. You don't need to convince me. I'm just the DM. <laughs> Listen, um, it's fine. Francis, you seem very worried about me answering the question. I just well, wanted I just... to let you know your legal standing. It's my job to help you enact your will if it's legal. All right, so I need, right. um, I need to know what your, your plan of sleep is. Are you doing shifts? Are you... What's the name of the game? I mean, Princess, we got to sort of do shifts, so you're going to have to drag me and the turtle through the woods tomorrow. Yeah, well, that's... Yeah, sure. I'll stay up first. All right, wake me before you sleep. Uh, All and right. then cool. he probably bed down close to a fire next to the turtle. Great. Um, Gwendolyn, how do you spend uh, your shift? Obviously, you're keeping watch, but uh, mm -hmm. is there anything else you do? Is there anything else you're pondering? Um, I think I'm actually taking this really seriously, <laughs> and um, uh, because I I do kind of feel like uh, Duncan thinks I'm a bit of an idiot, and I pro I probably am. <laughs> I'm just like like I. You know, I can like keep watch. Like, come on. Like, there's one. Like, I I can like, you know, hear things. Yeah, I understand. And, like, I... keep my eyes open. So I'm like, I'm like actively like, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna like walk over here. I'm gonna mm. like give a listen. Go to the other side. Get give a listen. Gotcha. Look out. Like, it's, this is very like. Yeah, I I think it would be probably pretty embarrassing if someone was actually sneaking up and and looking. I, uh, I bluffed pretty hard uh, to get the job I'm in uh, about my uh, Excel abilities. So there was a lot of like, oh, yeah, just do like a VLOOKUP. And I was like, absolutely. And then as soon as they left, I'm like, fuck, 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 fuck. I don't know how to use a fucking spreadsheet. Uh, so it's that. I, I, I am Gwendolyn. Um, I, I understand. Um, so given how seriously you're taking this, um, can you please roll me a perception check with advantage? Sure. Fourteen. Fourteen. Um, okay, so there are a couple times throughout the night where you hear a rustling in the trees. And I think it's like a, a freeze with a sword on... I guess you, you carry on your belt or on your back? Belt, right? Uh, belt. Yeah, so yeah. like hand on sword. Um, but, uh, you know, much like... Uh, I remember when I was camping in Cubs, I'd always like... like childhood brain that liked monster books would be like maybe monsters but i'm like no it's just a stupid chipmunk it's a lot of that where it's a lot of like oh, serious oh no it's, it's yeah. literally nothing the woods are always loud um yeah no there's a lot of like dramatic like arms out like wait a second 
kind yeah, of but, posing. Uh, unfortunately, the, the evening uh, for you passes without incident. Um, but um, when you go to wake Duncan, uh, you actually feel pretty good about it. Because even though um, you didn't actively fight anything, um, I think you're definitely in a better safe than sorry zone. Where you're like, I'm really glad I took this seriously because nothing went wrong, but it could have. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you wake him up. Uh, what do you think Gwendolyn, as a suit of armor, waking up a human looks like? It's like, I think it's, it's like, I would definitely like be like bending over him and then with like my gauntleted hand, <laughs> like poking him on the shoulder. So just like metallic, hard, like. Yeah, your, so. Your watch, your watch. That's what you wake up Jap- to, Duncan. <laughs> Just being jabbed in the spine by metal. Yeah, I think he wakes up like instantly, but silently. And then when he realizes the poke is her, he just like re like puts the safety back on Mr. Bang from under his pillow where he'd like clicked it off when he got jolted awake. Uh, And then he'll be like, "Okay, you can lay down here. Do you get cold? I'm sorry to ask these questions, but I don't know. No. Okay, great. I will say you do. um, We we discussed earlier in terms of like smells and things. It's a phantom limb sensation. So like, I think you. This is. Oh God, I hate even saying this. You can feel it, but it doesn't affect you. Yeah. So like, you can get cold. It doesn't have any adverse effect on you whatsoever. Yeah, it's being on on Tylenol three. I you guess. feel everything. So I was going to say, so not a metaphor for anyone else, but for you, definitely. <laughs> Look, I've had wisdom teeth taken out. I don't remember much of it. I watched Lord you know of the Rings the pain's there. very high. You um, know the pain's there, but you don't care about it. It's like, you know the cold's there, but it does, you don't really feel it. Okay, yeah, I, I dig that. I think <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> no, 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 I, I, I would agree with that. Um, the only caveat I want to add is that it's irksome in a way that... Oh, okay. Um, uh, it's irksome in a way that your your brain is trained to know that being cold is bad. Mm, gotcha. I mean, if we want to carry on with the the weird drugs thing, it's like if you're, <laughs> no, you're okay. no, no, no. But it's like um, if you've uh, been injected uh, at a dentist's office and like you're poking your face and you're like, ah, uh. it's numb. But like, I oh, fucking I know this is a problem. I know, whereas with, I think with T3, you're just like, it's good, though. In this case, yeah, it's yeah. like, it, it is actually very troublesome because your body's constantly screaming like, no, 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 this is a fucking problem, but it, right. it isn't anymore. Okay. So I'll let you decide whether you want the blanket I'm sure he's about to offer you. Uh, or not. I mean, I I don't know that I'm technically cold, but I can kind of feel cold. It's, uh, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Uh, lay, lay down close to the turtle. He seems warm. I mean, also cold, but he's great. We'll get the blankets over and then I'll put some vegetation on her and all that. And I'm like, you do notice the vegetation you put on him is mostly consumed. Oh, that's good. We made the good guess. All right. So get her over there. I'll give her her blanket, like in my blanket and all the shit we got that's blanket up. And then I will go over and be like, all right, now you sleep well. And then I'll just kick dirt over the fire. So the fire goes out because he'd leave it on for her comfort. Cause he wants her to be able to see things that are close, but he's actually really paranoid about ruining his night vision. If he's going to be the one on watch, he wants to be able to see things coming in. Can you roll me a perception check, please? 
at disadvantage. I just gotta find it. Hmm. it Admittedly, with all the uh, the systems we play at this point, like any skills possible, I don't fucking know. Uh, <laughs> it two is green, a one red. I don't know. Sixteen. <laughs> uh, 16, one six. Um, as you kick out. Uh, the fire, you obviously look at the fire as you do it, because as a responsible person with a fire in the woods, <laughs> you want to make sure it goes out properly. Yeah, it'd be real tragic if the fire killed the princess. And the rude folk. It just really, it, just, it took everyone. Um, yeah, so you, you kick dirt uh, over the fire, and um, as you look up from it, uh, exactly what you didn't want to have happen happens, which is you have that afterglow um, in the, the sort of pure darkness that kind of fucks with your night vision as, as your eyes readjust, you think you see two reflecting yellow coins that seem to be low and then move high. And then you hear a rustle through the trees and they're gone. This episode of Curse Code and Crowd Sound was mixed and edited by Laura Hamstra, and the campaign was created by Tom McGee. Our original theme music was composed by Landon Noblock, and Curse Code and Crown's logo was created by the brilliant Decapitated Markers. If you want to follow our players or our DM on Twitter, you can reach out to Laura at EL Hamstring, Ryan at the Ryan LeBlanc. Tyler at Tyler underscore Hewitt, Tom McGee at McGeeTD, or you can message our whole company at Dum Dum Dice. So please join us again for more Curse, Code, and Crown! Dum Dums and Dice has to give a special thank you to the supreme beings of our Patreon at this time. Christian Manicola, Long Long, The Half-Blind Prophet, James Quayar, Charles Grams, Christopher Little, Sue One, George Dolby, One True Artistry, Orion Birchfield, Lord Abradovic, Noel Lewis, Scott Garland, Anthony Griffin, Chet Awesome Laser, Jordan Neesmith, Benjamin V, Gavin and Abby McDonald, Taryn Hefner, and Jill and Noel Laplante. If you want your name to be added to this list, you can join our Patreon too at patreon.com slash dumdumdice. Thanks to them, and a little bit of thanks to you. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.